I think it just is an opportunity to reflect on why we show up in whatever role we're in, in whatever context. And, you know, at BBMG, we have sort of a series of, of aspirations rooted in why we created the business in the first place. And they all came from my dad, the rabbi. It was really lovely. It's literally the napkin before our business was born. And we were writing down like what my dad was encouraging us to think about and creating a company. And he said, like my dad knew anything about business as a rabbi, but boy, he knows a lot about humanity. And he said, number one, whatever is most deeply creative in you and each of the team members, that that would be nourished every day. Big C creativity, not just like the design team, but like the creativity that connects you to the creativity of the universe. Two, that you work with people who share your values, that ultimately what's important to you is important to them. Third, that you're learning and growing every day and that who you are today, literally, professionally, personally, you find yourself expanding over time, kind of like through challenge and mastery and the flow state, like you're really evolving. Fourth, that you can use our precious time on earth to make an impact in the lives of others and in the community. And finally, that you can make a good living. And I think that like, if those are why we might want to create a company or show up at a company, I think the reality is there's no way to be in integrity with those things unless we're facing the context of white supremacy and structural inequities and racism. Hi, I'm Tim Sanova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck, a podcast about, well, that. We've paused our regular podcast episodes to produce this 10-part mini-series called White Men and the Journey Towards Anti-Racism. While you can listen to the episodes in any order, if you're joining us in the midst of this adventure, I invite you to check out episode 54 of our podcast, where my co-host Lauren Ruffin and I introduce the series and frame these conversations. All of the episodes, as well as a whole host of amazing resources on the topic not by white guys, can be found on workshinsuck.co. In this series, we're talking with a variety of white guys who are personally and professionally engaged in anti-racism work. When asked, they each define the work in slightly different ways. Some articulate it as anti-racism or anti-oppression work. Others say they approach it more through a justice lens. Others, inclusion and belonging. Still others, equity and impact. Through these conversations, we'll explore the moments that led each of them to do this work, including their initial realizations that this was work for white guys to be doing. We'll discuss what's been most impactful and resonant to them in the journey, what's been most challenging, and since this is a podcast about the workplace, we'll discuss how this work shows up in the organizations they lead and the ones they work with. On today's conversation, I'm joined by Raphael Bemperad and Brian Miller. Raphael is the founding partner, and Brian is the CFO of BBMG, a branding and social impact consultancy. You can read more about each in their bios included in the description to this episode. So in the interest of time, let's get going. Brian and Raphael, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tim. Thanks. Hey, Tim. Great to see you. So I'm really excited for this conversation because it is the first time I've talked to two people at the same organization. So I know this is both a, a personal journey for, for all of us, and I'm really excited to see how we're intersecting, how you're intersecting at BBMG working on this together. Before we dive in, let's just start with how do you typically introduce yourselves in the work you do? And you decide who goes first here. 
Tim, it's great to be together, and I'm thrilled that Brian and I can share the work in conversation with you. You know, BBMG is a brand and social impact consultancy, and the way that we would describe our, our work, we've been around almost 19 years, and the way we think about branding is quite profound in the sense that more than a brand being a logo or a message image experience, of course, which, which it is, we're really conceptualizing brand as the systems we design and the stories that we tell. And so when you think about brand as the, the expression of a business model, a value chain, relationships with every stakeholder, and how you create value, and brands being the expression of the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, our sense of identity, aspiration, belonging, community, behavior, norms, and culture, Brands become a vehicle for transformation. It allows us to literally redesign the systems and retell the stories that allow us to create the future that we want. So that's the work that we do with you know, many businesses and mission-driven brands like B corporations, larger companies that are increasingly embedding sustainability, social justice equity into their business models and into their communications as well as many nonprofits and philanthropies. So we believe we're at a moment, as we'll be describing all day today, or in our conversation, of not just shifting preferences in the world, but changing paradigms. And we believe brands can be a vehicle of that transformation. I can't do it better than Raphael about BBMG, but just to introduce myself, it's great to be here, Tim. I'm Brian Miller. I'm BBMG CFO, and I've been in with working with Raphael for now almost six and a half years. My background is predominantly on Wall Street, and I had met Raphael, and he kind of told me about what if we could create this world together, and he painted this vision of what does capitalism look like, what does the future of you know business look like, and how do we do that through brand? Frankly, brand to me in the past was just something that sat on the balance sheet, but now I get to see it and live it every single day, which is really exciting. So this work has been really meaningful for me, not just personally, but also to see the transformation of what we're making with each business and each client that we work with. It's really exciting. And then I also do a lot of work with the culture. So I sit in the precipice of finance, legal, HR, those things. And I think it's really exciting because we also have a culture behind us that is able to fuel all the things that we want to do for our clients, but also give us the energy internally to be able to take on work like this, specifically speaking about justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So you both mentioned different aspects of your work, social justice, equity, inclusion, diversity. When you think about the work, I've talked to a lot of people for this mini-series who define that differently anti-racism, anti-oppression, equity, justice. What are the primary lenses that you two use when both thinking about this personally and then with BBMG? Brian, perhaps you could share a little bit about our aspiration to become a multicultural organization and I can build from there. Absolutely. I mean, personally, I, I would see this as anti-racism. We're just looking at, you know, the historical context where we have built a society and culture and systems around the idea of being racist. So what I see it as is being anti-racist to undo it. And at BBMG, what we're trying to do is we're creating a multicultural organization using this framework of how do you not just be compliant, but how do you become anti-racist through not only the way that you are staffed, but also in the, in the work that we're doing for our clients. And I think our aspiration really is to be an anti-racist learning organization that is on a path to progress. One thing that's really helped us think about it is, well, here's where we're going in terms of 
what we want to be as an organization and the steps to get there, but it's progress over perfection. That's something that's been guiding us is it's not something that's going to be easy. It is something that we need to be vulnerable with, but we want to continue to make progress. And what we're doing is looking at through the lens of for ourselves. So what is our own path and personal journeys and learning to uncover what is the real work? And then also what, what can we do for the business? So that's looking at things through policies and practices. What can we do for our clients? So that's how we design our own programs and processes for the clients. And then what can we do for our industry? Because I think our industry is predominantly in the creative field is very predominantly white and Asian. So what can we do to try to bring more people into the world that this is a place that you can make a life and a living, which is something that BBMG has always done. And I think it was born from an idea that if you align your passions and you can make a life and make a living, that is the work for us. So what we're trying to do is just bring more people into it through those four lenses. My only build is I think that anti-racism is the work to do, but is not the destination. I think it's on the path because anti-racism in its definition is, is accounting for and seeking to correct systems and structures, norms that have created the world that we're in. But I think the invitation is actually more in my heart and mind what Ra Goddess invites us to, which is rehumanization. I think that's ultimately the destination. And yes, we have to more directly account for structural inequities and dynamics of justice and inclusion. And at the same time, recognize that energy of anti just creates the opposite energy of anti. And so what we have to understand is not just what anti means, but what for means and what embodying means. And so for us, yes, the path is very much to move toward being a, a multicultural organization, which welcomes diverse experiences, perspectives, backgrounds, benefits from the rich diversity of heritage and ideas and experiences and creativity, which also happens, of course, in nature. And at the same time, start to identify and embody what we mean when we find our humanity in and through and with each other. That's ultimately the work to do. And I keep Ra Goddess very close in that rehumanization is ultimately the work. Well, I had the really great privilege of sitting in on a conversation that you, Raphael, had with Ra Goddess during one of our White Men for Racial Justice groups and really appreciated that conversation that, that you had with them. And I'm curious if you can unpack maybe a little bit more about your personal journey, Raphael, and then Brian, what, what got you to this point? Why are we like three white guys on a podcast talking about race and racism? Why would you say yes to that? What, what has this journey been like for both of you? I'm not sure exactly how far back to start that journey, which could be generational, or it could be like the summer of 2020. If I could try to tie those two horizons together, I'm the son of a very progressive rabbi and a social worker. My dad was born in Italy, he was a refugee of the Holocaust, has spent his life not only as an incredible preacher and teacher, but as a peace negotiator, working with different religions to find common ground and heal one another and heal what's ailing the world by identifying our common humanity. And then my mom was an extraordinary social worker and childcare expert who rooted all of her work in relationship, which went all the way back to the first moments and years of childhood and having a consistent, caring, loving relationship. And so if you think about the journey of my, my dad and his parents, my grandparents, Enrico and Vanna, escaping the Holocaust, my mom building 
a future for children that was rooted in deep bonding and, and building a trusting relationship, you actually see the building blocks of the work, which is relationship and repair and relationship and repair and relationship and repair. This is ultimately the journey we're on. Then as a professional, I started my work in politics. I was a speechwriter for a governor of Texas named Ann Richards, worked in community activism and really co-founded BBMG under the premise that brands could be a force for change and, and still believe that, of course, every day. I think what happened in the summer of 2020, and I would really invite your listeners to check out Ra Goddess's open letter to my beloved white male colleagues that she published in June of 2020. But it turned from like, yes, I've absolutely been raised by extraordinary grandparents and parents. Yes, I've internalized values that I, I cherish. And yet, when experiencing the summer of 2020, experiencing and really taking in quietly and honestly, Ra's open letter, one starts to appreciate that good intentions, well-meaning values are just simply not enough nor sufficient. And what I had shared in a conversation with Ra is I recognized that I thought it would be sufficient to be a conscientious objector and say, well, what's happening in the world? Are, that's, those are not my values. And then recognizing that it was no longer sufficient, never has been, to be a conscientious objector. One has to join the work and own the work and create the change. And I think what has been such a gift of white men for racial justice in our Tuesday nights over the last year and a half and more has been an opportunity to take more ownership and accountability for our own role and the unearned privileges that we benefit from, the power that we hold but also the sort of dismantling in our own minds and hearts and dismantling in our organizations and dismantling in our society, the structures of dehumanization and supremacy and ultimately separation that keeps us out of relationship, out of integrity, and move toward finding a path toward more right relationship, as Jessica Norwood would say, that is rooted in interdependence, rooted in self-care, mutuality, and love and a fierce accountability, really, for the role that we play in the society that we're in. I think for me, as just looking at the last year and a half as a lens, I think really it's just, for me, I think the, the world held a mirror up to us. And that's something at BBMG we love to do. And how we talk about our own work is we kind of look back and say, how did we really do? And I think, you know, what happened a year and a half ago with, with George Floyd really was the world saying, enough is enough. Here is the mirror and let's take action. Let's do it together. So for me, just looking at those last 18 months, the work has been with me for quite a while. I had married a Jamaican woman, so I now experience a little bit of a different world. Being with a woman who is Black, going through society and seeing how it's treated and how people show up differently for her than me. So the work has been then with me, but I think the last 18 months has really been the eye-opening moment to say, there is a better world. This is not even something that we could even try to agree with. It's something that we actually have to overcome together. And for me, that's really what brought me to the work is not only my wife and her family, but that the world is asking us and telling us that we need to create a new world together. How has this work looked like in, in BBMG as you wrestle personally and professionally with a company that you've built? Well, I think, you know, as Brian shared, we're really trying to embed justice, equity, diversity, inclusion inside of 
what we do for each other in our own personal journeys, what we do inside the business, what we do with our clients, and what we do in our industry. And I would say our commitments from the very beginning was recognizing that to hold this with integrity, it had to be transparent. We had to hold a mirror to ourselves and each other. And we just had to welcome and walk the path step by step. And one of the things that's been most illuminating and, and painful, we're a small and mighty team. And everything that we're doing has been quite transparent. So we do listening to the whole team. We codify it in a survey that helps us really set a foundation for learning about how are we doing across a whole set of policies and practices. But inside of that, when we asked our team to give voice to their experience, many folks recognized and appreciated well-meaning intention, but they also just surfaced some hard truths and some brutal facts disproportionate number of white people leading our organization. The entire leadership is white. The way of like when you're joining a team like ours, which is we're about 58% white, 42% non-white, that we're asking folks to sort of come into a culture and an experience that isn't necessarily their own. And we're well-meaning people and we're kind people in our company. We have a very loving and caring and supportive culture. And yet just listening and seeing that people's experiences were tough and hard and that they were looking at the makeup of our team and in particular our leadership and not seeing themselves reflected. That's both structurally a challenge for a small company and culturally, you know, devastating to know that one doesn't feel welcomed, even despite one's intention to create a welcoming environment. It's just the, the reality and the truth. One of the ways that we've tried to hold this with integrity is making everything transparent from what we're learning to our policies. And then as you've helped us, Tim, in the work that you've been doing, that the practices that we can hold from how we hire, casting a deeper network to seek team members, to take names off of resumes to have more than one person involved in each step. All of those things that just help us move toward the organization we want to be, the industry we want to help steward, and the world we want to create. I would say of, of all the lessons, it's been, as Brian said, taking an honest look in the mirror and knowing that there's beauty there, but there's also brutal truths. And just to honor that and to walk in and through those realities and then just make intentional decisions to keep pausing at every decision point, keep reflecting on checking yourself to pattern, checking yourself to previous norm and asking in this moment of choice, do I have alternative choices, broader opportunities, broader ways? Is what we've done in the past serving us in the future that we want? Literally that intentional moment of pause and then stepping and asking, what does it mean to be at choice in this moment and in this moment and in this moment has been really helpful. And it's a profoundly humbling reality. We have so much to do and so far to go. And yet I think we've tried to hold the conversation and the work with integrity along the way. To build on that, I think Raphael had pointed out one of the biggest things that we're working on, right? Given our current visibility in terms of our, our diversity metrics, is the inclusion. So we had done a internship program last year where we had one intern across each of the four disciplines in the business. That is our account, our design, our marketing, as well as strategy team. And it was a really fun project where we did a pro bono project for Black Women's Player Collective, which is 
something that's passionate of Raphael and myself. We love soccer. Well, we have to say football, Raphael, and some of our team members that we had come to create a brand for black women to help educate young women and to give them the opportunity to become professional players. But I think one of the things through that program is we found a lot of our blind spots, not just through the surveys, but the experiences that have been lived just from the first moment that somebody comes to BBMG's door. Like, as Raphael said, we are a very kind and caring culture. We have well intentions, but what are the unintended consequences? Just opening ourselves up to that vulnerability has given us a lot of work to do to think about what does inclusion look like. So, of course, there's a lot of things that we can do on the policies and practices, but really thinking about what is the experience. So we're taking the employee experience and breaking it down into parts, as Raphael said, and asking what are what are different choices that we can make? What are different ways that we could be doing this to make it be more inclusive, not just more diverse, but more inclusive? Because I think also inside the organization, I think that's a lot of the work. And that's how we communicate. That's how we lead. One of the things that we I appreciate about our team is 100% transparency. And we get to share everything together. One of the policies that we did create is we will not make big decisions without consulting a full team. So every big decision in the business, whether that's from hiring or creating a strategic plan, all of that goes out to the team. We share it, get feedback and inputs, which is not something that we've done past. And I think it's just another way for us to try to make a, a business that's more inclusive, but also people feeling ownership of their futures. And I think that's really exciting about the model of BBMG that we've been practicing to try to make things a little bit more inclusive. Hey everyone, it's Tim. I want to take a quick break from our conversation to share some really exciting news with you. We spent a lot of time on this podcast discussing how to create inclusive, equitable, thriving anti-racist workplaces. About a year ago, my colleagues Courtney Harge and Nicola Carpenter even taught a course about an important piece of this work race-based caucusing. And here's the exciting part. We just released an online version of that popular course. If you're listening to this podcast and wondering, how do you actually create an anti-racist workplace? This course is for you. If you're curious about what race-based caucusing in the workplace is, what it isn't, how to get it started, how to keep it going, this course is for you. Courtney and Nicola share their insights from having done this work together for years They share their templates, their practical strategies, and actionable advice to help you succeed in implementing this in your workplace. Whether you're an HR professional or a team leader, consultant or educator, CEO, or really any role in the organization who is ready to invest time and energy into creating a more inclusive and understanding workplace, join the course and learn how this tool can be a part of the change towards more equitable, thriving futures head over to bit.ly backslash caucus course to check it out now. And be sure to use the code caucus50 at checkout for $50 off the price. Now, let's get back to the conversation. It's really cool. I also find like, while there are hard truths and personal work we need to do, this is like some of the most exciting stuff that I personally I've ever been a part of. It's fun to be like, how do we actually want to create this company in a way that's not the way, you know, the book from 1985 says you should run a company and making this all up. Do you, do you find that same fun and exhilaration in, in the work that you're doing? 1000%. And I would say the building blocks of the joy that you're naming and almost like the childlike wonder and, and curiosity and excitement comes from 
trying to embody and manifest being a B corporation and really deeply embodying all the dimensions of impact that being a B Corp invites about what we learned back in the day from Bally now come and future about relationship and embedding and rooting all that we do in the company in relationship. And then our journey together, which is building on both of those in white men for racial justice and our equity advisors has just been a path of such great gratitude as we've learned and grown together with and through the that our equity advisors are helping to guide and hold us to account. And I agree with you. It's like the blessing of being alive in challenging times is that it opens up and can welcome us to our full humanity. And I think that has been, you know, as Brian said, we exist to not just make a living, but to make a life. And we're alive at a time where we're called to deepen and broaden what we mean by work, how we see ourselves in relationship with one another, and then ultimately look quite directly at the systems and structures we've created and inherited um, and asking if they serve us, which obviously they don't. And we're at such a great moment historically of transition and transformation. So in community together, exploring this and and co-creating where we might go, it's truly just a glory. It's a glory to behold. As I've been doing this work, I've been co-leading it with Raphael and there's other team members that have, the whole team has been engaged. Particularly, there's been a strategist that's helped us, Jen Louie on our team, who's really been the one holding the mirror to Raphael and I in every single conversation. And her and I would always chat and I always told her, if I didn't understand money, this would have been my work. This would have been my career. This would have been my path. Because I think it opens up such different conversations when you're just not talking about business, but you're talking about the relationships, you're talking about people, their lives, their lived experiences. And I think the idea of curiosity and the need, the want, the desire really makes this work something that's been super exciting for me. The moment is here and I'm glad to be a part of the moment. Let's talk about the transparency that you both have mentioned, because I think this is one of the things that we strive for, sharing information, sharing power, sharing decision-making. And at the same time, it introduces other things that aren't necessarily unintended consequences, but the work shows up in different ways. We have different conversations. People often say, yeah, I would love shared decision-making, but that takes so much longer. It's so much easier for me just to make a decision and, and then go with it rather than saying like, all right, well, do you have to like backtrack on that decision? Like who's involved, who's impacted by that decision? So I'm curious if you can unpack this 100% transparency a bit more. Where have you seen it? You're like, wow, that would have never happened had we not done this. And where have you seen it? You're like, oh God, this transparency thing, maybe we need to think about this again because that sort of spun out in a different way that was unintended or, or caused us to wrestle with it more in, in different ways. Had we just done this the quote unquote normal way, we've been you know past this. If I could just speak philosophically to it, and then maybe Brian could speak pragmatically to it. But I think we're at a moment, and I did have recently an absolutely glorious conversation with Lorna Davis, who is a global B Corp ambassador, former CEO of Danone in the USA. She just reinforced something that has increasingly become a truth for me, which is that none of us have the answers. None of us know what we're doing. None of us have solved or lived through what ultimately is in an emergent space. And so the transparency isn't so much, oh, I had all the answers and I'm on high. I'm going to gift you my knowledge. Like, it's not that at all. It's, it's quite the opposite. It's just a recognition 
that I have no idea where we're going. I have no idea how to do this elegantly. And so, hey, can we think this through together? Might we stumble and, and create and navigate this together? Because we just recognize that this is something that we all care about. It's something that we all own and hope to embody. And so to me, like the transparency isn't some like, woohoo, we're great enlightened leaders seeding power. It's much more just a deep recognition that we don't know what we're doing and that we welcome everybody's not knowing. And frankly, not knowing at a time of great change is a huge and important gift because knowing has not done what we thought it would. We had a lot of false consciousness in the past about what knowing meant. So I just think living in the emergent, welcoming it, acknowledging knowing and not knowing, which is what Lorna was sharing with us, that is more the posture here. And as a consequence of that, yeah, we'll share all of our survey, including every verbatim that had brutal, brutal comments in it. But that's, it's almost thanking the difficulty, thanking the hard truth as a gift, rather than putting up defenses and walls and saying, oh, how am I going to navigate that? What's our crisis comms? It's not that impulse. It's saying, whoa, thank you for that brutal truth because now I get to see it and dance with it. That's the posture. And we are trying to, like is shared, and it's now a policy in New York, publishing pay bans on every job and all those things. But that's kind of like, those become more obvious when you allow yourself more of the posture of just not knowing and welcoming the fact that we're all guiding our way through an emergent space. Yeah, and I would just disprove the notion that things take longer. In fact, I think it takes the same amount of time. It's just a matter of what types of conversations and questions you're asking, right? This is one of the first years we've done our strategic planning. So typically from September until December, we start to think about what does the future look for, for us in one year, three years, five years. And I would say the same process took the same amount of time. We had such better ideas come to the table because we had shared kind of as Raphael said, we don't have all the answers, but we think these are the assets that we can build upon. These are the opportunity spaces for us to go build into. What do you guys think? And I think the result of our strategic plan is much better because we had the whole team involved. And as Raphael said, it's not about every decision doesn't need to go to the team. For me, the inclusion part also needs to be empowered. So not every daily decision needs to be, in my mind, brought to a committee, taking down time. It's a matter of giving somebody the tools and the learning to be able to make that decision through the lens of all the work that we're trying to do in our building a multicultural organization, but then also taking some of those decisions and asking for the inputs. Frankly, back to the strategic plan, it took us the same amount of time. I would honestly disprove the idea that things take longer. I think it's giving the, the people in decision-making power the right tools to be able to ask the right questions and to be able to make the decisions in a, in a timely manner. I'm curious from an HR perspective, when you talk about 100% transparency. I don't know that we have 100% transparency, but we have pretty close to that. And I would say we've had, you know, broadly open books for the team every quarter. We open the books to share how are we doing at the end of the year. And we have a series of metrics, both financial and cultural and around quality of work and health of the team. And at the end of the year, we share like from whatever we're ending up with, where it goes and why and how we're remunerating and rewarding the team, how we're reinvesting in the future. And that's broadly available because we're all navigating it. We're all leading that together. 
We do publish pay bands, both for every job posting, but also just within one's own growth path from being a junior team member through a senior team member, like all those pay bands are transparently and available. The thing, though, that I'm most excited about with transparency is, and I would welcome Brian building on the HR policies, but part of it is the cultural way. And we have a great ally and beloved BBMG team member over years named Joseph Ingram. When he served as our managing director, we brought in something called growth feedback. And the idea is that at the end of the year, when you do your performance reviews, that should not be a surprise. Actually, you should have a very clear sense of how things are going because throughout the year, you've checked in with different team members. The way that this works is so lovely. Throughout the year, team members have growth feedback sessions. One, I appreciate the premise of growth feedback because it's in real time and in planned sessions together. We're sharing three beats. One is identifying an experience. Tim, do you remember when we had that podcast conversation? It was thrilling. The second beat is after naming the experience, the impact. Well, that gave me, it impacted me in this way. And in this case, it gave me great appreciation and inspiration for the work we do together. And in the future, it has an invitation. And those things can be strengths, but also opportunities for growth. Now, that's part of transparency too because we're opening up honest and brave conversations in service to each team members and each other's growth development and full creativity and humanity. And so what happens at the end of the year is you're able to to look at the broad experience of your year and hopefully you feel yourself growing because you've had a team of mirror holders, loving mirror holders, helping to see yourself from different perspectives and grow. That's also transparency to me, which is having a brave culture to share and celebrate how we're doing throughout the year over time. So I think those are some of the building blocks from you know sharing our numbers, talking about the different pay bands, and then ultimately having honest and open conversations about how we're doing together throughout the year. I think the biggest conundrum for an organization like BBMG is our leadership team, because our leadership team is an amazing group of folks who are representing the different disciplines. So our leadership team has our head of creative, head of accounts, head of strategy, our leader of people, Brian on our financial officer side, and myself. We're all white. And the folks on that group have been with BBMG for 11 years, for 10 years, and they just have built a life and made a living through the organization. And so the way that we can help to address this is having to grow the business sufficiently enough that we can hire at the top as well. What that means for sales, what that means for our growth year over year to be able to do that. That's what I'm most grappling with is how do we diversify and welcome a a more broadly diverse set of leadership in the short term, while I think that's something we can absolutely do in the long term as we grow our team. and the financial constraints and the structural constraints that I don't know yet how to navigate. That's on our mind. To build both from a cultural perspective and then also how I'm thinking about it from an HR perspective, we see ourselves as a culture of growth. Inside of it, we have five values that kind of drive us every day and and the way that we operate as a team, the kind of filters we go through and thinking about how we manage the business. Through that is the growth and transparency for each other because we care about each other. We want to grow together. So we're going to give each other feedback, but we're also going to call hard truths when hard truths need to be said only in service of the growth of the organization and the individual. 
being a growth mindset is something that we're always been aspiring to do. And I think we've had great success to do it, but this is just the next journey on our growth. So the transparency needs to come through the culture that we already have to be able to share the experiences and metrics and things that we just haven't even uncovered in the past. And then I think on the HR side, there's to me, law lags the culture of what the culture needs. So it's about being compliant. So I think what we do is that's our foundation. What can we do on top of that? That's better. So that's all the things that we're doing around our policies and practices. Thinking about just hiring as an example, we've uncovered the, the hard truths of what brought us to BBMG to have a white leadership team as well as I think we said 58% still are white organization. But how can we undo it? So thinking about our hiring. One thing that we found is we always go to our own network. We hear about somebody who's amazing, who's probably also white. We may have in the past hired without posting a job publicly. That will never happen again. That's one of our new policies. Also, every posting has a budget to specifically invest and recruit from diverse communities. Also, as Raphael said, have a transparent salary band. On the note of salary band, everyone knows what each band is for each role. So a junior has this band, a senior has this band, a leadership team and executive team has this band. We also know that some of our blind spots are around the, the recruitment process. So we want to make sure that at every stage we have at least 50% of a diverse pool. So that way we're making sure that it's going to take time. And in the creative industry, everything has to happen today or yesterday. One of the things is just being very mindful about the pause and continuing to just kind of build guidelines and frameworks around. These were the blind spots for us in the past. This is going to what's help us get us to closer to the multicultural organization. And so we're just designing policies and practices around it. And Tim, you had shared previously your, your recruitment process that you had run. And I'm really excited to see that come out. I, but just helping us really take a deeper look at every single interaction that people have internally as well as externally with us to be able to create something that's a little bit closer to our aspiration of rehumanizing and becoming multicultural. You know, we're talking about fun. That process of helping lead that search at Opera Philadelphia for that new role, I would say top five most fulfilling things in my entire career. It was like the most fun I've had in that for a long time. Like it was just a group of people who are coming together to like, yeah, let's figure out how we can do this while centering equity and inclusion. It just was a beautiful process and it, there's a lot of uncertainty and we talked a lot about that's just conventional wisdom why would we change that so yeah excited to share that with everyone and see where it goes next one of the questions i often get when talking with organizations about the work is from people who aren't in positions of formal leadership and, and power saying what if my ceo or what if the leadership team or what if the board of directors doesn't believe that this is important work that our organization should be doing anti-racism, equity, justice, however the frame might be. Often it's like, we're an innovative tech company. We want to be an apolitical space. We don't want to bring politics in the workplace or talk about racism or Black Lives Matter. When you hear things like this from people, how would you typically advise them to approach this, to think about this or what they should do? It's a profound question. I think it is an opportunity to reflect on why we show up in whatever role we're in, in whatever context. You know, at BBMG, we have a series of, of aspirations rooted in why we created the business in the first place. And they all came from my dad, the rabbi. It was really lovely. It's literally the napkin before our business was born. And we were writing down like, what, 
my dad was encouraging us to think about and creating a company. And he's like, my dad knew anything about business as a rabbi, but boy, he knows a lot about humanity. And he said, number one, whatever is most deeply creative in you and each of the team members, that that would be nourished every day. Big C creativity, not just like the design team, but like the creativity that connects you to the creativity of the universe. Two, that you work with people who share your values, that ultimately what's important to you is important to them. Third, that you're learning and growing every day and that who you are today, literally, professionally, personally, you find yourself expanding over time, kind of like through challenge and mastery in the flow state, like you're really evolving. Fourth, that you can use our precious time on earth to make an impact in the lives of others and in the community. And finally, that you can make a good living. And I think that like, if those are why we might want to create a company or show up at a company, I think the reality is there's no way to be in integrity with those things unless we're facing the context of white supremacy and structural inequities and racism. I believe race in particular is just one of the many ways that we dehumanize or other folks who are different than we are. Race is a very devastating strategy, but not the only one. We do it in a lot of ways. And that ultimately, my professor John Rodden said to have a conversation every day with the 80-year-old version of yourself. Just imagine, like, again, in every moment, you're talking to the 80-year-old version of yourself. And you want that 80-year-old to look back on your life in this moment and to be proud of the choice that you made, of what you embodied, of how you cared or loved. Ultimately, like to the person who's saying the CEO is not on board, just ask, am I creative? Am I working with people who share my values? Am I learning and growing? Am I making a difference? And am I making a living? And ultimately, talking to my 80-year-old version of myself, am I proud of what I'm doing and choosing? And the rest will take care of itself. And what I ultimately believe is the only path to integrity in that is facing the way we dehumanize each other, we other one another, because we're fearful. We feel a you know, false sense of, of either superiority or power, or we're just scared. To me, like that's the conversation to have. And if as a consequence, you're working in an organization with a CEO who doesn't share your values or minimizes everything to transactional relationships. Well, you might not want to be part of that anyway, despite the stock options. You know, like I'm not really sure what that buys you at the end of the day, if you have that conversation with your eight-year-old self. So I keep pivoting to philosophy, but I really believe it's a helpful way to center when we think about these issues. And I think what we've all learned in the conversation that we're having today and over the work of white men for racial justice these last 18 months and in life is that the only path to the promised land is in right relationship, as Jessica Norwood has said. And it is about interdependence and caring and healing and repair and love. And that's the work. At least that's the work we want to be part of. I'll double down a little bit on the philosophical because I think it touches on one thing that I've kind of helped get me through this work is I've turned back to all the great people in the past that have dealt with many struggles. One of them in particular, I've always been reading a lot recently about Marcus Aurelius. So stoicism is something that it's really both touched on what Raphael said is in every moment you have to ask yourself, is this, it's going to be a struggle, but ultimately are being called to be greater. I would also ask somebody, is this something that you want to be able to teach your kids about? Is this something that you can have a right relationship with yourself 
before you can have with the world because you have to ask inside yourself to really understand what is it and who are you. So that's something that's really helped me in the past is just think about stoicism and, and your own creativity. But then also I love things around behavioral economics. So I would also ask somebody, you know, something around loss aversion. If you're in a corporation or if you are leading a company that isn't doing it, what are you giving up? There's a lot of risk there. There's a lot of loss aversion because talent will follow where they want to go. And we've seen the culture flip. And I think people are going to ultimately weed out of buying the brands, working at the companies that don't have this a part of their work. And it's something that we've seen in our own recruiting processes. I've asked myself these questions at every step of the, the, the way. And BBMG showed up in this way at this type of conversation, for example, it would have been great to speak with other colleagues who are also diverse. Okay, that's a good learning. But I think that, you know, we have to look inside ourselves and we also have to look at what is culture doing for us. And then ultimately, from a business perspective, what are you willing to lose by not being brave and not showing up and being a human and human for other people? For that point, Tim, just the joy that you shared about the work among the most profound experiences of your life. Like, why would anyone want to miss that beautiful opportunity and the noble struggle and the beautiful struggle and the journey that you've traveled? Like, yeah, okay, you can cash that check or you can work in your tech company that's not thinking about this or trying to embody it, but you're missing out on what Tim's about to tell you about and the joy that Tim felt and that we are getting to experience by facing the work. To me, it's maybe a a self-fulfilling loop here, but I don't think it's a big choice. (laughs) I think there's a a clear side on the wager here of where our joy and our creativity and our sense of community and our creativity will live. And I would just say, you know, take three or four hours and read meditations. You'll have a different perspective on the world as well as people who've been in different struggles. It really, I think, is something that's personally helped me This has been such a fun conversation. We're leaving so much unexplored. We're at time here. Is there anything else you want to add as we land the plane here and and wrap up our conversation today? The first is we were together, Tim, maybe a week ago, and Dr. Zoe Spencer was sharing her birthday evening with the community of white men for racial justice. And in that conversation, which was just remarkable and joyful, she said that in speaking directly to our feelings of insecurity and you know not just humility but inadequacy in embodying and trying to do this work as white men she said consciousness changes energy energy changes space and if your heart is in it and you seek the truth it will always be okay amen to that and thank you dr zo and then i was just thinking about this last night i called my dad cuz He gave a a sermon, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I just remember the title, and the title was called On Having Eyes to See. I called him last night, I'm like, Dad, remember that? He's, oh, of course. I was like, well, what's that about? He said, well, that's Deuteronomy 29, and I'm not religiously a scholarly person, but so through my dad, I'm sharing. It's Deuteronomy 29, and Moses has brought the people through 40 years in the desert, they're on the precipice of reaching the promised land. And Moses said to the people, through this experience, you have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to understand who you are as a people and what you can create. The work of white men for racial justice, above all, has been a great 
path of love and truth seeing, a growth journey for sure. And what I'm so grateful for, apart from the personal relationships and our equity advisors' wisdom and generosity, has been having eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to understand reality that we had chosen very intentionally not to see in the past. And so that's where I would end, which is the gift of eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to begin to understand. I don't know if I have anything as eloquent as that, but I would say part of the white men for racial justice that we've been a part of together, I would say is just opening yourself up vulnerably is my only parting advice is having a community to be able to experience this and go through it together as somebody who's both curious, who's growth minded, who's very conscious of their unconscious biases. Having somebody to go through that journey together has been remarkable. So if there's anybody that is looking for a community, white men for racial justice is one of those. But also just being in community with others going through it is probably my own parting advice. Well, Brian and Raphael, thank you so much for your community, your support, your vulnerability, your insights, your expertise, for sharing a joyful hour together in this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Really wonderful to be together. And thanks for all that you're doing to help steward us as well. If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or a phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. Until next time, thanks for listening.